Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. He alone is worthy. So glad to be in the house of God tonight. It's raining on the outside, but we're here on the inside. Nice and warm. Just right. Just right. Amen. We're so glad to be in the house of God tonight. Amen. Don't forget when we're praying um, this evening, don't forget to keep Sister Josephine's dad, Brother Cooks, in our prayers. Um, you know, things just don't look good for, for him. So just keep him in prayer that whatever is going on, the Lord will touch his body. Um, and don't forget to keep um, the Strobel family, Brother Bob family, in our prayers. I think we had met a few of the siblings um, that came to the church while it was around. You know, have a very sweet spirit. You know, and, um, you know, commend Brother Tom for hanging in there and um, be with him for most of the journey. Lisa was there most of the time that he could, so um, it's it's a good thing. Don't don't forget to keep each other in our prayers as we pray. You know, um, I'm I'm good. I got a sling on, but I'm good. Amen. Keep me in your prayer. <laughs> Amen. God is good. Amen. Our online congregation, we welcome you tonight. We're gonna stand. We're gonna get uh, in our prayer tonight and ask the Lord to bless us tonight. Bless our service tonight. And that he will bless the man of God as he come to preach and teach to us that the Lord will use him like never before. Amen. For those that are traveling, that they will have a safe travel. And uh, continue to keep our past and his family, our prayers, and those that are not here. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this another privilege and opportunity that you have given unto us to be in your presence tonight, Lord God. We ask you to forgive us for every sins, O God. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness and all filthiness. Purge us with Isop, wash us and help us to be whiter than snow, creating us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Cast us and not away from thy presence, and take not thy only spirit away from us, O God. Father God, if there is ever a time we need you, we need you now. Now is the acceptable time. Now is when our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. We thank you for being so good to us. We thank you for health strength, O oh God. We thank you for continuing to be in our provider and our keeper. Lord God, as we gather in your presence tonight, Lord God, to lift up your name, to call upon your name, to worship you, Lord God. We thank you for bringing us here safely, Lord God. We pray for those that are traveling, O oh God, that you will bring them here safely. Those that are not here, that you'll touch them, Lord God. Our online congregation, that you'll be with them, touch them tonight, O oh God. Open their hearts and their minds. Your understanding tonight that as the words go forth tonight, Lord God, it will go forth with power, with unction, and with anointing, O God. Lord God, we pray for the man of God tonight as we come, O God, with your word, that your anointing will be upon him like never before, Lord God. Bless him. Use his voice, O God. Touch his body. Touch him from the crown of his head to the sole of his feet, Lord God. Let your will be done, O God, tonight in this place. As we pray, Lord God, for the Strawberry family, Lord God, we pray tonight that they will be encouraged, Lord God, that they will be strengthened, Lord God, in this time. Lord God, I pray now that you be with them, Lord God. Comfort them like never before. Oh, Father God, as we pray for Sister Josephine's dad tonight, I pray and ask you, Lord God, that you will touch, oh God, Brother Crooks right now, Lord God. Touch his uh, body right now, Lord God. Do what only you alone can do, Lord God. We know you're the miracle-working God. And we know what seems impossible to man is possible by you, God. And we ask you, Lord God, that you will touch those that are sick among us, those that are here and those that are not here tonight, Lord God. Give us the victory, Lord God. Let your will be done. Let your kingdom come, O oh God. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. For great is your name and greatly to be praised. Continue to bless and keep our pastor and his family. Bless our church family, Lord God. I pray and ask you to keep us and guide us. We love you. We say thanks in advance for what you're about to do and what you have already done. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody say amen. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a round of applause tonight. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. At this time, without any further ado, it's my privilege and honor tonight to bring the man of God. Amen. Um, his wife called him the bishop. Amen. <laughs> Amen. He's going to come and he's going to teach. He's going to preach. Uh, I think pastor called him uh, professor. <laughs> uh, yes, sir. So we, we got a name for you, brother. Come on, brother. I love you. Amen. I bless you, my friend. What you have to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, man.
are a person with one arm still has his humor. Ain't God good? <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> All righty. Praise God. So it is uh, certainly raining. Bear, bear with me. All righty. Praise, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Uh, well, I'm just kind of going to get right into it. It is a rainy, rainy night. Um, you all came out here to, sacri- to sacrifice. Amen. Just want to get right into, um, get right into the word, if you don't mind. All right. Let's go to. Uh, the book of Matthew, chapter uh, 16, verse uh, 13 to 37. When you are there, say amen. All right, that's one amen. I know we 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 few, but we can we can wait till we get at least two. Oh oh, all right, all righty, all righty. Says. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. I want to speak to you or teach tonight on the topic the oneness of God, a journey through the scriptures. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I can do nothing if not by you, Lord God. Speak to me, Lord God, as your oracle, Lord God, a divine impartation, Lord Jesus. I pray you may open up understanding, Lord God. Give us eyes to ear, eyes to, to see and ears to hear, Lord God. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So today I, I, um, I decided to, to talk about this topic for obvious reasons. But besides the obvious reason, um, you know, I worry, I worry that we post a lot about the topic we preach a lot about the topic, but I don't know if we teach enough on the topic. I know if you are a minister, then you get to read certain books by Bishop Bernard. I know for some people who are going to have part of, let's say, ALI or PSTI, you may get certain classes. Um, but for the most part, I am concerned that we are raising a generation that know more about standards than they do about the identity of God. And and it's, again, not against standards. I believe God has called us to be separate. God has called us um, to walk in our gender distinctive roles. But how many believe that there is no greater revelation to man than God in flesh. And so why is this important? All right, I was I was speaking about my wife the other day and she 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 told me, you know, not when I got in church, we talked about it, we talked about it, but I just always wondered just why. You know, why is it important that I know this? All right? Just who cares? It's important because the scripture said that Jesus is looking for worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth. 
and the oneness of God is the pinnacle of truth. It's important because Jesus says to believe on me, believe on him as the scripture says. And just to kind of let you know where I'm going. Now, I will not give a David Bernard dissertation tonight. We, we, you know, we, we don't have the time, and I'm not Bishop Bernard. Uh, we, we, we won't stay surface, or we won't go super deep because of time. We will kind of stay uh, in that center, um, you know, uh, ground. Before I kind of jump into the scriptures, I really want to dive into some terminology that I think might be uh, helpful for you. Because oftentimes, and you know, in the past, right, uh, and I'll just tell you my experience just real quick. When I, I took a class, right, on um, on the Trinity when I was in school, and I had to take it or I wouldn't graduate. So I took it, and I, and I, and I aced it because I just couldn't fail it. Um, and I realized that while I heard about the ones, and, and it was, and I even read some, some of the books, I, 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 I did not know how do we get from here to there, scripturally, studying the scriptures. And uh, you know, I went on a journey trying to figure out and reading different books and, and trying to understand. So some of the things that I, I, I found out, I'll, um, I'll share with you today. The first word, hermeneutics. Anyone who has heard of this word before? <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, hermeneutics in short means the science of interpreting scripture. To be a little more precise, it is the study of the established principles of biblical interpretation. The next word is exegesis. Exegesis is the actual uh, interpretation of the Bible. It is the bringing out, the pulling out of the meaning from the scripture. And so if hermeneutics is the principle used for interpreting, then exegesis is the practice of those principles. For example, right, we're all from New Jersey, and and uh, and, and and I had to transfer my license, uh, uh, you know, from PA to New Jersey. Which, by the way, you know, I didn't have to take a test in New Jersey, thankfully, because New Jersey test is harder than Pennsylvania. But nonetheless, uh, it, 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 you think of it like um, the DMV driving manual, right? The manual is the principle. It's the pillar to show you how to drive, but it's not actually driving. When you get behind the wheel, you're driving, but you're using those principles that you learned in the manual. Just like in this example, hermeneutics is the manual. And then interpreting the scripture, that's the driving. So we need the principles to show us how do we actually interpret the scripture. Next, apostolic hermeneutics. And I did not learn about this until much later. Um, but the previous two slides is extremely important because it sheds lights on how we as oneness believers come to our conclusion. However, for apostolics, we 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 look at the Bible, or we rather approach interpreting the Bible in a different way, right? So, since hermeneutics is the principle used to interpret the the, the text. The next question would be, well, what are those principles? 
and before I get into that, I want to say that everyone, all of us, who out, even if you're not in church, whenever you read the Bible, right? So I hear people say, oh, you know, why do we need all this? Whenever you read the Bible, whomever you are, we all approach the Bible with some kind of lens, right? Even atheists, right? When they read the Bible, they are approaching the Bible with a preconceived notion that there is no God. And so when they're trying to interpret the text, it is, it is that lens in which they're trying to interpret. So no one can uh, approach the Bible without any, any notion, any lens. We all have it. For apostolics, the key distinction for us is our principles with how we in, approach the scripture. Some of these things are universal, but then we do have some distinctions. The first is a method that's called the grammatical historical method. Right. The, the grammatical, uh, starting with the gr- grammatical method, refers to the study of the context, the sentence, chapter, structure, and language. For example, if I say um, we had a Christmas ball, right? You can say, well, and I, I say, well, what does ball mean there? Who wants to give it a try? What does ball mean? An event? A Christmas basketball. It could be both. Now, it can only be both because we don't have enough context. If I said we had a Christmas ball and everyone dressed up real nice and it lasted very long, then what does ball mean? Not that. (laughs) Not a Christmas ball. But the point I'm making is we look at the actual context of Scripture. We don't try to pull Scripture out of context. Look at the verse. What is this verse saying in this chapter? What is this chapter saying in this entire book? What is this book saying in the context of the entire New Testament? What is it saying in the entire New and Old Testament? And that's how... We, 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 we look at the, the, the grammar, and, and for those who can, we look at the underlying language, Hebrew, Greek, etc. Historical. Historical asks the question, is there a cultural difference that may inform my understanding of the text? I'll give two examples of this kind of mind. Uh, if I said something like, we're talking, and I say, chill out, right? Right now, all of us right now, we can, we understand. I don't actually mean chill. You know, I just mean just calm down, right? It's another way of expression. But 100 years from now, chill out. They may not know that that's a colloquial, how I just used it. That's cultural bound. They may only understand chill out based on the definition of chill. Cultural, historical context. Now, if they were, if they were able to look into this culture to see, okay, how did they use chill like elsewhere? Another example would be in the scripture actually where it says in a few times it says I, I look for the look to the hills for whence cometh my help. Right. Why are they saying that? What's up with the hills? Well, in, in past he's been to Israel and one of my wife and I friends just went to Israel and the first thing that, that she noticed that it's a very hilly place. A lot of mountains. What else was on the hills? The tabernacle. So historical context is what we use to get us, help us become more informed about the scripture. Now there are two other things that really make us distinct. 
from uh, maybe the Trinitarians. The, our view of the God of the Old Testament. See, we start off with the presupposition that God is a person, one person. God is one. And we get that from the Old Testament. We look at all the verses in the Old Testament that says God is one, God is one, God is one, God is one. So for us, that is where we start. Now, what I learned when I was studying the Trinity, that Trinitarians don't look at it that way. For us apostolics, and this is extremely important, as apostolics, when we think about God, we go from Genesis to Revelation. Trinitarian, true Trinitarians. Most most people in like your churches, they're not Trinitarians. If you ask them, they believe one is. They just don't know about it. But true Trinitarians, they believe that we should start from the New Testament, from Matthew, and go backwards. So when they see these terms, the Father or or or, or, or the Son and the Holy Spirit. They take that, and then they work it backwards. But we say no, no, no. We believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The next thing that's different, that while we will read and reference church history, for those who have done CSCI, you've You've, you've learned a lot of church history, and, and it's all good. It helps us. It informs us. But it's not Bible. We don't adhere to church creeds that says God is three persons. Our authority lies in the scripture. The Catholic church, they're, on, they're honest. They'll tell you. It's the Bible but it's also tradition. Some other Baptist, other organizations, they'll tell you, it's the Bible, it's tradition, it's experience, it's this. The apostolics, the Bible. And it's really one of these, it's, it's really these two reasons that, 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 that um, I really kind of, when I was young, I used to do it a lot, but, but um, I really Stop engaging in a debate with Trinitarians. Because as long as we have these two distinctions, there's no middle ground. And I have a lot of Trinitarian friends. I have some of my best friends out. And, and they know I think they're, they're wrong. But I love them. But I also understand that we just can't get to a middle ground because we don't start the same. Now, even with knowing that the oneness and the Trinity take a different approach to understanding whom God is, sometimes it can sound like we're saying the same thing. So how many have seen or are familiar with that quote in the red? Is anyone here familiar with that? Have seen it before? Okay. All right, so it's a good thing pastor is not here because that is a direct quote from our website in the red where it says, he is the creator of heaven and earth and of all living beings. He has revealed himself to humanity as the father who is creator, as the son, savior, and as the Holy Spirit. The indwelling spirit. Now I have a I have a, on, the, on the opposite side another statement of faith from another notable Trinitarian. It says, within the one being that is God, there exists three co-equal and co-eternal persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times, because we're using the same terminology, Father, Father. Son, Son, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Especially for the young people in our church, it trips them up. They think that it's all the same. 
They go to a church. And say, oh, he said the name Jesus. Then it's, it's, they're one of us. You know how I many people, people, people I know within an apostolic, or who was in an apostolic church, so easily went to a Trinitarian church. So easily. And they, they didn't care. Some thought, oh, that he believed the same thing. And it's because of these different terminologies, the same terminologies that we're using. And I'm here to say that we're saying the same thing, but we are actually meaning something really different. And it's really important that we understand the difference that we mean. Amen. And at the bottom, I kind of highlight that difference. On our statement, what we mean is that one eternally existed person revealed or manifests himself in three ways. That's it. Boom, bladder, boom, bladder. What the Trinitarians are saying, which is totally different, that there are three eternally existed persons who always exist and makes up the one being of God. Do you see how the first statement, we have the same terminology, but when you really break it down, the second statement literally makes up concepts, a one being of God, as if God is a substance, and then within that substance, there's his three persons. It's not even a biblical concept, but this isn't an argument against the Trinity. I'm, well, maybe it is, but so. Now, first, in our journey in reviewing the oneness of God, we must first understand who God is and his role in the Old Testament. And the first discrepancy between oneness and Trinitarians lies in the first book, in the first verse. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The first discrepancy that we disagree is the first word for God. In the Hebrew language, that word is Elohim. And the reason why this is a discrepancy is because it is a plural noun. So if we were to say people in English. So Elohim is a is is, is plural in Hebrew. And now the 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 Trinitarians would say because it's plural, therefore it's multiple persons in God. It can't be multiple gods, so therefore it's multiple persons in God. Important to note, the Elohim is not a name. It is a title, right? And it's translated multiple ways in the Bible. And we need to look a little bit more to really figure out what is this referring to. Now, the first word or the first place, one of the places we see where Elohim is translated is in Genesis 32:30. It's translated as God. So I, I'll have you know that anywhere it is translated and refers to as God of Israel, it's always translated as a singular God with a capital G. Then anytime it's referred to as other gods, pagan gods, it's it's always translated as God with a lowercase g, in in uh, in plural. So it's God and G O D S. And as a reference, you can see Exodus twenty at verse three. We also see that it's translated as angels in Job chapter one. Verse 6. And another place we see is translated as judges in Exodus 22 at verse 9. So, as you can see, there are multiple ways to translate it, but the sticky point still remains the plural usage of this word Elohim. And we have to look a little more into it. 
I like this slide. Plural, plural, plural. I want to talk to you about, which I'm sure the Tom's very familiar with, uh, in English. We have this thing, it's either a plural only noun, or you may even call it a uniplural noun. Right? This is a noun that always exists in the plural. But it can be a sing- it can be singular. Fish, deer. Right? You can use it for a plural, you can use it for a singular. If you start there, then it gives a little more concept to say, okay. There is, at least in the English language, there is a way for us to say a word that's plural but has singular usage and vice versa. So the next question is, well, what about in Hebrew? How does it work? The exact same way. I draw your attention to Genesis uh, chapter 4, verse 10. It says... The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. It's translated singular, but in Hebrew it's actually plural. Now, this doesn't mean there's a lot of, there's a, a lot of blood. It doesn't mean there's like different stages of blood. In Hebrew, the reason it's translated here as singular is because the plurality here it stands for more so the intensity, that this is an intense scene. So a Jew reading this in his original, original language, they say, oh, this is an intense scene that, that, that the writer wants us to know of the magnitude of this particular scene right here. It has nothing to do with it being more than one. In Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Heaven, in Hebrew language, is plural. Doesn't mean it's more than one heaven. What it refers to is the different compartments of heaven, to the vastness of heaven. Not that there's more than one. And so just like blood and just like heaven is in a plural form, and Elohim is in a plural form, but there's not there's no singular singularity to that. Blah, blah, blah. There is also no plural gods. Amen. Let's recap. Plural usage. Now, how is plurality used? Plural nouns used in the Old Testament. It can be more than one. It can mean a plural of intensity. It can mean a plural of emphasis. It can mean a plural of majesty, which is what Elohim is referring to. It is not a plural in number. It is a plural in God's majesty, that he is the God of the entire universe. That is what it's referring to. And the next question, well, how do we determine this? As we said earlier, grammar and context. Next, I want to get into another verse, because how you view Genesis 1-1 will really drive how you view Genesis 1:26. And it reads, then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So I can't tell you how many times, how many people that I know that have left the faith, left the apostolic faith, because of this one verse. One ver- Never should there be one verse <laughs> to just 
have you leave anything? The issue is that they didn't understand the verses that previous to this verse. So to let us, as we mentioned earlier, there's two thoughts, right? One thought would be it is God's plural of majesty. Here as well, which is possible. It is God being king. And as a king, king, and even in Ezra, we see a similar language where a singular person will speak in the plural. Uh, let us. Another view would be an, uh, the plural of deliberation. And what this means is a scripture that says uh, that God do all things at the counsel of his own will. And so if you ever one day you're just doing something, you're just talking to yourself. We do it every day. Oh, I need to do this. Well, who are you talking to? You're the only one here. You're deliberating within yourself. That's another view. It is also a view that a lot of Jews hold. Now, here's my view. I think that it might be referring to God's heavenly host, God's heavenly court. So then the next example would be, or the next question would be, well, does that mean the angels were involved in creation? No. Here's an example I can give you. If I tell my wife, let's go get some food. I said, let's go get some food. She's not driving. She's not paying. But we're all going. The angels are there, and God is saying, Let's us, let us. But God is doing the work. And we know this because in Job uh, chapter 38, verse 6 to 7, it talks about how the angels were there at creation, but what were they doing? It says that they were shouting for joy at creation. Holy, holy, holy. The Lord God Almighty. So you have three plausible, op, uh, you know, options in, in, in different apostolics and in, in, in Jewish traditions, both the different uh, ones of the three. Uh, but I tend to think that it's more so referring to the host, holy host. Another controversial verse. Seemingly not to me, though, is Deuteronomy chapter 6 at verse 4. We should know this by, by heart. By heart. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. And I actually wrote down the word. It is not to show off, but I think it's important for you to actually see it. Uh, and, 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 and the reason why I'm going back and forth between oneness and Trinitarian is I think it's important to know that we're not just making stuff up, right? There's a method to how we got here. There's a reason, you know, you may have a lot of issues with the apostolic church, but there's a reason to stay in the faith. There's a scriptural reason. And you need to know why God has, and you need to be able to feel honored and privileged that God has called you to a truth-speaking church and not a church that follows the doctrine of man. So this word for one is this Hebrew word, echad. Again, very, very, a word that's very much disputed. Now, echad means one. So now the next, the next question is, well, uh, Brother Hosker, if it just means one, then how was it that Trinitarians are able to see more than one? As I mentioned earlier, we start from Genesis. We see one in Genesis. The Trinitarians start from New Testament, 
and they see three titles. And so, as I mentioned earlier, that lens, their hermeneutic is to interpret everything they see in the Old Testament based off what they see in the New Testament. So they come up with this concept called a compound unity, which is, which is a fancy word to just say more than one. That there's a unity in, in one. One means one. That's it. It just means one. And unfortunately, in Hebrew, it means the same thing. It just means one. Now, what can happen, where in an example that they would use is uh, where it says the two shall become one. So, oh, well, there it is right there. It's one means one. I mean, one means more than one. No, one still means the same. It still means the same. Just like you can have a, uh, an instance where the one can modify a collective noun. So one cluster of grapes. One still means one. It's the grapes that's more than one. One family. One still means one. <laughs> it's more than one family. So it still means the same thing. But when you adhere to creeds more than a Bible, you make up your own concept, even if it makes zero sense. Now, what do we know so far? We know that Elohim represents one God. We know that God is called Elohim as a title. God is declared to be a God, one. God is one person. We know that God created a world that didn't always exist. That God created humans in that world. That God is the father of creation. That's what we know so far based on the scriptures we've looked at. Next question. We know about God, but what of self? How many are familiar with a word? called the incarnation. We're all probably familiar with that, right? So whenever, again, we're saying the same things, but we're meaning something different. When we say the incarnation, and when a Trinitarian say incarnation, we mean something different. For us, we mean the human ministry of Jesus. For the Trinitarians, they're referring to, yes, the human ministry of Jesus, but also a pre-existent place for Jesus. And that is important to know. In Matthew 1, 23, it says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall, and a child, uh, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which, uh, being interpreted, is God with us. This scripture details the announcement of God on earth as the Son of God. The second scripture, 2 Corinthians 5 19, it says that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Deals with the mission of God in Christ. First Timothy three sixteen, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Hallelujah. Mm-mm-mm. Captures the entire mission of Jesus Christ. So far, what we know, we know that God was manifested in Christ. We know, that, we know that God had a mission in Christ. We know that Christ was a human. We know that Christ was born to a virgin. Now, if we kept it here, we still don't really get to the heart of the matter when it comes to our view 
on this particular subject. The motherhood of all questions. This is this is the big baby. This is what it really, really comes down to. Did Jesus exist before his birth? This is it. This is the mother of questions. The mother lobe. And to answer this, I just want to go a little deeper in another text. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. I'm going to read it again, but kind of break it down. In the beginning. Now, I have the, the colors, not just because it looked nice. But I have it colored like that for a reason. So you see in the beginning it's purple. And then I have something else in purple. I have Genesis 1-1 in purple. So John, he says in the beginning. We see Genesis 1-1 in the beginning. What does that tell us? You ask us apostolic why did we start from the Old Testament? Because John did. So John is echoing this Old Testament creation story. So in the beginning was the Word. Now, the Word, Logos. I, I mean, it's a lot to say about that word that I, I, I won't get into everything. So for those who are online that know more about it, uh, just bear with me. Not enough time to get into everything. Now, logos. Here is translated as the word. The question is, well, how else is it translated in the New Testament? And it is translated a lot of different ways. But just for some, I, I, put, I, I caught out two. First uh, John two seven it says the old command is the message you have heard. That word message is translated from the same Greek word logos. Uh, in Revelations chapter ten verse thirty it says since you have kept my logos, my command. So what we see, and at least in these in this context, logos it, it it it's it's word, it's speech, it's a thought. Amen. And in other texts that we we just can't go into, we really see that it, it means a vast thing, vast a vast amount of other options that we have, all kind of circling to this idea of words and thoughts, right? So before you after you have well before you have uh, or say words words you have thoughts so the actual jewish concept is that logos actually refers to thoughts ideas words so in the beginning was god thoughts ideas now the next question is well it says brother haskett that it was with god so how is it a thought or idea can be with someone. Okay. Good question. We're going to go to the Old Testament. Because in Job, um, what is it, chapter 10 at, I believe, verse 13. And I do not have it up. Can someone want to pull that up? Job chapter 10 at verse 13. Oh, I do have it. Oh, look at me. Go, go ahead, you. It says, In these things you have hidden in your heart, I know that this was with you. If you look at the, con if you look at the context of Job, it is these thoughts. That these thoughts are with you. In Proverbs 8, uh, and, and, and you read it on your own, this is the entire chapter, it talks about wisdom. And, and we see that, 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 uh, that it talks about how wisdom 
is at a particular physical place, though not literally being physical. So now the question is, or the question still remains is, okay, so the word was with. So the word is a thought, and the word was was with, right? And in the context, it's like, okay, but what does with mean? Just what does it literally mean? If we were to kind of translate it again, right, at least at the context of Job and the context of how it's used in the Old Testament, if your thought is with you, it's pertaining to you, it's connected to you, it is you. It's not separate from you. So now let's read it again. So in the beginning was the thoughts, the word, the logic. So it's literally where we get the word logic from, from Logos. The, 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 the thoughts of God and the thoughts of God was pertaining to God. And the thoughts of God was God. Now, seems pretty straightforward. The question is, okay, Brother Hasker, how do we still get these? You know, it seems forward. You kind of explained it pretty good, but you know, it, it still doesn't make sense. Like, wh- why? Why don't no one knows it? Well, during the, uh, I say the the, um, I want to say the early church, right? And for those who haven't done CSCI or stuff like that, right? The early church is referring to the church immediately after Jesus' ascension, right? Uh, there was a debate, right, uh, among the, the Greek philosophers of that time. And, 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 and their thought is that, was that God was too holy. And this is, these are secular Greek philosophers. God is too holy. He cannot come down and interact with humans. So then how, and then the Christians who adopted that understanding say, well, how do we reconcile this? That a holy God cannot come down and commune with his people. They reconciled it by saying that he had a word that came down separate from him to reconcile with his people. And that word became Jesus. So how did we arrive at different locations? Because one group looks at tradition. In another group, we just went to the Old Testament. Amen. Sister Haskell is ahead of me. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. So I will need somebody to actually read this. Uh, it's Matthew chapter 3, uh, verse 13 to 17. And we're finishing up. Kind of, but. Over there, say amen. Somebody say amen. Yep, Matthew 3, verse 13 to 17. So, the reason why I just wanted to throw this verse in, again, there's so many different verses I can go over, um, but this, for me, was the most controversial verse for me. I really struggled with understanding what was going on here. Before we're going to get into it, but some things that we get from this text, takeaways, all right? 
is that this is where Jesus was publicly offered and accepted by God. This is where God is proclaimed to be in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. And this is how God will reconcile the world unto himself in the person of Jesus. This also expanded baptism beyond the Jewish community. During that time, only, only uh, the, well, it says Jewish, I mean to say the Gentile community, um, only the Gentiles will get baptized because the thought was that you needed to get baptized into the Jewish community. So this is why John is so unworthy to baptize Jesus because he's like, wait, you're a Jew. You're the king of the Jew. You're who I read about. You're, you're the one coming. Why do you need to get baptized in a new family, in, in, a, in a family you're already in? And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I'm not getting baptized into your family. I'm establishing a new family that others will follow and get baptized in. Amen. So, I'm going to take a deep dive, rather. There's an issue with this text, or seemingly an issue, is that there is a voice. Right? There's a voice that says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so the, the idea is that, well, and this is what I've, I got in school. This is what I always get. Well, is God schizophrenic? This is what someone has, has asked me. How is it that he's present in Jesus and then there's a voice? Again, got to understand how God is, uh, operates in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there are three ways in which God uh, commune with his people. The one is a theophany. A uh, theophany is uh, just pretty much means whenever God uh, appears as a, a a human form. All right. Another one would be that God speaks from heaven. The general concept in the Old Testament that heaven is God abode. Right. We we know that. You know, uh, when, in, in Moses, he's at the he's um, the top of the mountain, and we know God speaks at the top of the mountain. We also know God speaks through fire at times, all from heaven. We also know that God is also present in covenant relationship with His people. Now, at no time is God, if He is in the bush, it doesn't mean He's not in heaven. Right. So this idea that God is in multiple places is not foreign to the Old Testament. God is in a tabernacle, but no Jew would have thought that God is also not in heaven. That is not an Old Testament understanding. So we don't have a problem with the actual voice. We just need to further explain it. So now we know we don't have a problem with the voice. We have to deal with what is actually being said. It says, you are my beloved son. Now, this is a direct quote from Psalms, Psalms chapter 2. And this is referred to as the royal psalm. So what would happen is that during the uh, the Israelite time, right, whenever a a king would pass off the mantle to an heir, the public knows the king is passing the mantle off because he says, "You are my son." So what God is doing. This is an inauguration. God is inaugurating Jesus. The voice is there for the onlooker, the Jewish community who knows about their tradition. They know that the term my son means 
that this is the next man in charge. That we don't have to go to the tabernacle. This is the next man in charge. It says, in whom I am well pleased. This is from Isaiah 42, also the servant's song. Isaiah 42 talks about uh, someone, a servant, the ultimate servant, who will actually come and die for the nation. This is God confirming, not only am I in this man Christ, not only am I the new king, I also come to die for you. Then we have a dove. It says descending as a dove. It's different ways you can look at this. One would be, going back to the Old Testament, the significance of the dove. In the Old Testament, in Genesis, Noah, on the ark, there's a flood, goes out, send, they send the, the dove, hey, go check to see if the water kind of uh, uh, received, if it's safe to come out. Dove come back, lets us know, let them know, it ain't safe to come out. Dove go back out, never come back. It's confirmation. We're ready to enter a new world. The dove is a confirmation that a new world is here. A new kingdom is here. That the Old Testament is done. That the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament is in him, and we're now ready to go into a new world. So what do we know? We know that God is one. That Elohim is a title for God. That Elohim refers to God's majesty, not plural persons. That Elohim created the world in humans. That Elohim became the father of that creation. That Elohim manifested himself in the person of Jesus Christ. That Jesus was fully God and man. That Jesus is the servant who was to die for the nation. And, which we didn't get to, that the Holy Spirit is not another person, but God in activity. Why am I saying God? I kind of tricked you over that. Why am I saying God in activity? Now, the Trinitarians will say that God is a, that the Spirit is another person. Now, in, 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 in all of Paul's greetings, right, yeah, he had, uh, we call it salutations, right? Greet you in the name of your Father and Lord Jesus Christ, right? If they're all co-equal, the question would be, why does he always leave out the Spirit? Like, why is the Spirit just being forgotten? And it's because the Spirit is not a separate person from God. In Gen- again, going back to Genesis, if, if you see what I'm doing, how I'm always going back to Genesis, always going back to the Old Testament to understand God. It says, in the beginning, God moved. The Spirit of God moved. If you want to know what the Spirit is, it is the work of God. When we're in worship and we're saying, God, send down your Spirit, we're not asking for another person. We're not saying, God, you stay there and send someone else coming down here. We're saying, God, act in this service, move in this service, act out in this service, heal in this service. The Spirit is God in activity. With that, questions, comments, concerns. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless.
with that, I do want to pray us out. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord God, we thank you for this word, Lord. God, we thank you, O God, for your revelation, Lord Jesus. God, we thank you, O Father God, for calling on us, Lord God, for calling us out, Lord God. We could be anywhere in any church, in any denomination, Lord God. You called us to be here in this time, Lord. We thank you, God. We receive your word, Lord God. We receive, Lord God, that in which you have revealed to humanity, Lord Jesus. God, there is none like you, Lord Jesus. You are, you cannot be compared, Lord Jesus. You are the one true God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Lord Jesus. The Elohim, Lord God. You are all one, Lord God. We thank you, Lord Jesus. God, we ask, oh God, as Jesus said in the New Testament, to to help us to be one with you, Lord God. We may be one, oh God, with you, Lord God. Help this church to become one in unity, Lord Jesus. Of one mind, Lord God. On one accord, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Drive safe. God bless.